Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is the fan early morning show and I am Sean Myers here from the fan studios. Opportunity to do this for the first time in my career. I've worked with Cook and Joe about a dozen times or so, but filling in for Adam Crowley this morning. Excited for this opportunity and have a chance to talk about what many consider to be maybe the top day in all of the sports calendar that took place yesterday and will continue again into today. That's the first couple of days of the NCAA men's basketball tournament and plenty of exciting action yesterday. Whether you're a fan of one specific team, whether you're a fan of just filling out a bracket and rooting for the teams that you pick to make a deep run, there's uh, plenty for everyone to take interest in. And uh, certainly we'll touch on a lot of the specific local teams, including West Virginia and Penn State, both of which opened their tournament yesterday. The Mountaineers won and done. Penn State does move on. We'll talk about Pitt, which won one of the preliminary games earlier this week, and they will play in the round of 64 later today. We'll have plenty of coverage on that, including the game broadcast this afternoon here on The Fan. But want to first talk about the fact that for some people, maybe their brackets have already been busted. I know that uh, some people think, you know, the second that their bracket is busted, they then lose interest in following the tournament. If you know that you don't have a chance to ultimately win the pool that you're in, maybe no extra money coming your way, do you still follow it? Do you have a team that you've uh, kind of latched on to if your favorite team is not competing in the tournament or if they've already been eliminated. And I think that, you know, the immediate response on that first day is there's a number of people, you know, that say, Hey, my bracket already busted. I'm not going to be winning this year. And for anyone who maybe had Arizona or Virginia making a deep run yesterday, they probably had plenty of dismay seeing the outcomes. If you did not hear number four, Virginia team, that's had a lot of success in the tournament in recent years was upset by 13 seeded Furman And number two, Arizona, absolutely stunned by number 15, Princeton. And I know, at least in the few pools that I've been in, one here at Odyssey and another one through another workplace, that uh, I've seen a handful of people who had Arizona going all the way. So if you picked uh, the Wildcats to win the championship, you probably don't have much of a hope already. Just one full day into this tournament in earnest. So the question I pose is, If your bracket has been busted already, do you still have interest? Are you paying attention today, throughout the rest of the weekend, and then certainly into the second week of this tournament if you know that realistically you do not have a chance at this point to uh, potentially win your tournament? And 
for those people who did have those teams. Uh, yeah, it was a tough first day. Now, if you had maybe Arizona going to the Elite Eight or Virginia in the Sweet 16, you probably can rebound from that. That's not a big deal. But if you picked either one of those teams to make it to the Final Four, certainly to play for or to win the championship, uh, probably have already seen your hopes go by the wayside. So how does someone react to that? Do you, uh, again, continue to follow the tournament, just enjoying the spectacle of so many basketball games in such, such a short period of time? Especially, though, if you do not have a uh, dog in the race. And I know certainly with Pitt still around, there's a lot of people in this area who are going to be following the tournament as long as the Panthers are in it. I will give uh, kind of my rooting interests in just a little bit as well. But uh, it's always an interesting dilemma uh, when when the team that you pick to make a deep run is bounced so early in the in the very first round. Hard to bounce back from that. Another question I have, and I've pondered this myself Let's say you're a Pitt Panthers fan. Do you root for the other teams in the ACC to make a deep run, to make the conference overall look stronger? Or are you happy that a team like Virginia has already been eliminated from contention in the first round? Because ultimately it does uh, raise the the standard of the conference and make every team look better if the ACC is able to have success. It was, of course, much maligned throughout the regular season. A lot of people saying that this was one of the worst years in ACC history. So in one sense, I think if you're a Pitt fan or a fan of any team in the ACC, you want to see probably the other teams in your conference do well. And I would sure, I'm assuming that WVU fans would say the same about their conference or Penn State fans about the Big Ten. But then the other way to look at it is, Do you want the other teams in your conference making a deep run, knowing that those are the teams you're competing against, those are the teams that you are recruiting against, and let's say Virginia had made a run to the Final Four. That's not something that uh, has been uncommon over the past decade. Well, now all of a sudden, it becomes maybe even more difficult for the Pitt Panthers to go down to the DMV and to try to recruit against a team like Virginia if they had made you know, a run to the Final Four or even the Elite Eight as opposed to being bounced in the first round. If you're a recruit in that area, maybe that gets the antennas up that uh, if you're leaning Virginia, maybe you have second thoughts about the Cavaliers after their early exit. So do you root for the other teams in the same conference as your favorite team now that it's the NCAA tournament? Obviously, during the regular season, you're probably not rooting for teams like Virginia or Duke if you're a Pitt fan, but now that it is the bracket of 64, do you consider kind of uh, supporting the other teams that reside in the same conference? Uh, I can speak from my perspective as a Penn State fan with the Big Ten. I would rather see uh, the other Big Ten teams struggle because, again, those are the teams primarily that you are recruiting against for talent. Those are the teams that you are competing against each and every year. So if you can uh, get even a slight edge because they did not have as much success I think you take that as opposed to the alternative of saying our conference was really well represented because we got some teams pretty deep in the tournament, even if it's not my favorite team. And so for many people, as I said yesterday and today, and then of course over the weekend, will be maybe the most exciting couple of days of the entire sports calendar. But what does the NCAA tournament mean to me specifically? Well, it's probably a little bit different than most people because I know I had a number of friends that basically yesterday and probably again today, they will do nothing other than sit around and watch games all day long starting around noon. They go until about midnight. you got about 12 straight hours of basketball 
where you're flipping channels constantly between three or four different stations. Honestly, that was never me. Uh, I'm a college basketball fan, but it's for the team I support, which is Penn State. So I'm familiar with the Big Ten, followed that conference throughout the season. But some of these uh, obscure schools that I could not even locate on a map of my life depended on it. I'm not sitting down and watching those games. I just never have. I don't have uh, much money invested in my brackets. So it's not as big of a day for me as is probably for many sports fans. So kind of the way I approach it is if my team's not in it, and by and large, Penn State has not, I don't really pay that close attention. You know, I'll watch a game here or there. Obviously, once you get to the Final Four and the championship, more eyes are on it. But uh, the first handful of rounds, you kind of just looking at your bracket and checking the scores. But truthfully, I was not sitting down and watching hours of games. I know our colleague here at the Fan, Josh Roundtree, who is one of the busiest guys that I know, he's always constantly working. I think yesterday basically said, I have nothing to do today except watch a lot of basketball. But I've always taken the approach, Penn State's not in it. That would be the one team where I make a point to sit down and watch the games. Well, finally, for the first time in over a decade, I had a chance to do that last night. Had to stay up pretty late. Uh, Obviously, they did not tip off until about 10.20 at night, which is not ideal for an East Coast team, and especially knowing that I have to be up around 2.30 to produce here today on the Fan Morning Show. Made the decision... Uh, did not get the chance to watch them in 2011 when they played. I was working at the time and had to watch the game delayed after the fact they were a one and done. So last night I said, you know what? I don't care if I'm running on two hours sleep or less. I have to make the effort to watch that game. And let's just say I was very thankful that I did. Penn State wins 76-59. Somewhat of a modest upset over Texas A&M. The Nittany Lions were the 10 seed. A&M was the seventh seed, and Texas A&M has been playing some great ball basically from Christmas on. So a lot of people thought not only could they beat Penn State, but maybe make a, a bit of a run in the tournament. But the Nittany Lions playing their best basketball at the right time. They were on the outside looking in about two and a half weeks ago. They have gone on an absolute tear, and I think they played their best offensive game of the entire season last night. And not only is it a game that I think Penn State fans Notice, but uh, the national media given plenty of love to Micah Shrewsbury, the head coach, and some of the star players. Andrew Funk, who is a Pennsylvania guy, played at Bucknell for four years before transferring to Penn State. Eight of ten from behind the arc, 27 points. It was just a sight to behold. He was not just hitting threes. He was knocking down shots from the logo well behind the three-point arc. Jalen Pickett, who is a second-team All-American had what was now, I would say, a pretty standard performance for him. 19 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists. And again, this is really probably the most prominent stage that Penn State has played on in about a decade's time. I started there in 2003. They had played in one ever NCAA tournament game. They were going to be in the tournament in 2020 before COVID short-circuited that. So I finally, for me last night, it was a special night. It was Uh, The most anticipated NCAA tournament that I've ever watched because I got to see my favorite team, my alma mater, the Nittany Lions play a game. Glad that I made a decision to stay up and watch that one as they looked absolutely incredible. And now they'll have a chance to pull off what would be an absolute stunner on Saturday as they go against a numbers two seed in Texas. Well, we want to let you know that the Wake Up Show is presented by 84 Lumber. Put your positive attitude to work at 84 Lumber. Apply at 84lumber.com. 
Sean Myers here on the Fan Early Morning Show. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Major League Baseball and the drastic rule changes that have paid major dividends, making the game much more bearable, including the pitch clock and the impact it has made. That's upcoming as we continue right here on the Fan Early Morning Show on 93.7 The Fan. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sean Myers here on the Fan Early Morning Show. It isn't too late to do something to fix your high energy bills. Beat the spring rush with off-season pricing at Window Nation. Get two windows free with every two purchased. Mentioned that... Wanted to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball and what has become a pretty significant story in spring training, and that is the fact that the game has drastically changed due to some rule changes. The most notable, of course, is the pitch clock that has been adopted, something that has been utilized in the minor leagues in recent years. It's been experimental, and the results have been pretty substantial. The games have been shortened by about uh, 20-plus minutes, up to 25 minutes, in some of the minor leagues. And so far, we've had uh, a pretty big sample size now in spring training, and the results, I think, have been pretty wonderful. Some of the numbers, and this was in an article on CBS Sports for March 13th, so a pretty decent sample size at this point, about three weeks of spring training, about halfway through it. The pitch clock has cut 25 minutes off of spring training baseball. A year ago, spring training games were three hours and one minute. At this point, or at least at the information that this was provided as of a few days ago, they were trimmed down to two hours and 36 minutes. 25 minutes is substantial. It is a very significant amount of time that has been trimmed off. And it's not just necessarily shortening the length of the game. I think most people would be fine with a three-hour game if it was action-packed. But unfortunately for anyone that's watched baseball, really, I think at the major league level, but even collegiate baseball trickling all the way down to high school baseball and youth baseball, there's been a lot of activity uh, or inactivity, I should say, where you might go four, five, six minutes without a ball even being put in play. Uh, That's not enjoyable for anyone. That's really not how baseball was in generations past. And so with the games getting longer and longer, more strikeouts, more walks, less balls and play, less movement on the base pass, something had to be done. It was trending in the wrong direction for many, many years in Major League Baseball. Last year, I mentioned spring training games lasted three hours and one minute. The regular season was a little bit longer, not too much different. It was three hours and three minutes. So again, these spring training games, it's not exactly the same as regular season baseball, but you have a pretty good idea because spring training games, regular season games were about the same length last year. I think we're going to see during the regular season, games will probably be trimmed down to about maybe two hours and 40 minutes, 
perhaps even if you go a little bit longer, two hours and 45 minutes. And that's much more easy to consume for for casual fans and I think even for hardcore fans. I've grown up. Baseball was my first love. It was the first sport that I played. It was the first sport that I watched. And quite frankly, the Pirates were actually good when I was a young kid. It was the very early 90s teams that got me into baseball. And then there was about 20 years of a, a terrible drought. But whether you have a good team or a, a bad team, baseball has just become at times just so lengthy and, and, and so much of it just dragging on that something needed to be done. And, and the pitch clock, I'll say this. I don't love the method. I, I hate the idea that there's now a clock in baseball because the biggest thing that has separated the sport of baseball from every other major sport here in North America is that it was always an untimed sport, and that made it unique that made it special, and so many baseball purists and, and fundamentalists had always said, there's there's no clock, there's no timer. Well, you can't say that anymore. It's a fundamental change, which really you could argue is maybe the biggest change in the past 100 years or so in this sport. Yeah, there's been some other ones. They've adjusted the height of the mound. That, that had a major difference, I think, back in the 60s. Recently, over the past three or four years, really starting with that COVID year, there's been some pretty drastic changes as well. They've gone to a universal designated hitter, which we had, what, almost 50 years where it was only in the American League and people wondered if it would ever come to the National League. It was kind of weird that the two leagues were playing with different rules. So that that's a big change as well. The ghost runner and extra innings. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that starting in the 10th inning. I think that's something that maybe if you get to – the 12th inning, 13th inning, you could implement. I, I don't know why they have to go to it right away in extra innings. I think it's a little gimmicky. Uh, we've seen hockey do that. Uh, you know, Several years ago, they went to the three-on-three overtime, and it really bears little resemblance to how the game is played in regulation, and I think baseball is kind of the same with the ghost runner. But I don't think there's been any change bigger than a pitch clock because, once again, there is now a clock in baseball, but... While I hate the method, I love the result of it. I, I had sort of a different idea in mind, and I don't know if it necessarily would have worked out nearly as effectively, where I thought, okay, maybe you go with, I guess, a, a number of timeouts, which is a little bit more comparable to some other sports. You think you get three timeouts per half in football, you get one timeout in hockey, not really a, a big factor in hockey. You get however many timeouts, depending on the level of basketball. And so without a clock... You would have these timeouts where if a batter wanted to step out of the box, he would have to use one of the designated team timeouts. And, you know, maybe you give him 10 timeouts. So if you have a batter that's dragging his feet, if you will, he might use one, two timeouts. That really limits what the, his teammates can do the rest of the game. I would have maybe gone that route as opposed to a pitch clock. But again, the results speak for themselves. And it's making baseball games much more bearable for fans, whether they be avid fans who have watched their whole life. I think, again, I'm speaking from my perspective of watching baseball now for 30 plus years. Even when I'm watching a, I guess, well-played game with my favorite team, it is hard to sit there for three hours and 15 minutes, three and a half hours, which by and large, that's what baseball has become at the highest level in recent years. And to kind of show how it has really trended in the wrong direction, I mentioned last year regular season games were three hours and three minutes in length. They were two hours and 45 minutes back in 1989. So you look at uh, about 30 years of a, a difference, 33 years to be exact, the game increased by 18 minutes. 
So you say, okay, that's not the end of the world. 18 minutes is obviously a, a substantial amount, but it's not going to make or break whether I watch it. The problem is you add 18 minutes, but I would at least anecdotally say that you have way less action now than you did in 1989 when it was much more about putting the ball in play. You had guys like Ricky Henderson stealing 120 bases. Now you're lucky if someone gets to 50 stolen bases in a season. It's all about the three true outcomes. So with walks, with strikeouts, obviously home runs are generally uh, pretty exciting. Fans, for many, many years, going back to Babe Ruth, they have loved the long ball. But you just don't have as much action, so you have longer games with less happening. And so the pitch clock addresses shortening the games. And I think it, you know, one thing we have also seen is the other rule changes, not as drastic uh, of impacts so far, but what they've done is eliminated the shift with the idea that more balls that are put in play will go for hits because you can't put three guys on the right side of the infield or three guys on the left side of the infield to take away, basically to turn well-hit ground balls or line drives into outs. Now those probably find a hole and make it to the outfield for a single or maybe even a double. They've also, uh, as it's been talked about quite a bit, made the bases a little larger. And I was curious to see how this would impact baseball because at first it's like, why would you need to do something like that to make the bases larger? They cited safety concerns where you often see on the, I guess, the smaller bases of years past. There's not a lot of room if a throw towards first base or even second or third base is slightly off the mark. The fielder sometimes has to basically go right into the path of the runner. Now you have a little bit more room where the runner can get the foot on the base, the fielder can still have the foot on, and they might not necessarily intertwine or or collide in that scenario. So they cited the safety reasons for it, which obviously you want to keep players safe. But I think the other aspect is, although it's maybe not a massive difference, it creates a little bit more of an opportunity for the run game because there's just slightly less room on the base pass between first and second or second and third or third and home. So it encourages running and encourages stolen bases. And so those numbers are up at least a little bit. Now, again, it's spring training. Everyone's getting, you know, a feel for this. Now, a lot of the guys who have played in the minor leagues, they're already used to some of these roles, like the pitch clock that has been in the minors. So I think it'll be easier for the younger players, guys just coming up or maybe a year into their major league career, as opposed to the veterans who've been around for 10, 15 years. This is a drastic change for them. The good news is this spring training, we have already seen players starting to adjust because from the first week of the season when there was a ton of pitch clock violations, both on the pitcher's side and the hitter's side, that has really been trimmed down quite a bit, nearly cut in half from the first week of spring training to the third week. The violations, I think there was about two per game initially down to about one per game, and I would suspect that it will probably drop even below that once we get into the regular season. But I think the onus also becomes on Major League Baseball and its umpires to make sure this is still in force because you don't want to have these new rules and then by the time May or June rolls around, you're giving the pitchers kind of the benefit of the doubt. They're taking every uh, every inch they can with the pitch clock, and you get games that start to drag out again. Same with the batters, adjusting their batting gloves and things of that nature. I know it's always been part of baseball. You think of Nomar Garcia Parra and, and his stick before every pitch where he would tap his spikes and adjust his gloves a couple times. Again, I understand for people who have played baseball or watched baseball most or all of their life, that's just how it's always been. 
That doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way, though. I think we're seeing an alternative now that, again, if this had not happened over the past 30 to 40 years where the players were dragging out the game, I don't think you would have need this clock to speed things up. But it's come to this point where it's probably the only real solution. And so far, at least in my perspective, it's been great. When I'm not uh, producing, what I primarily do here at the Fan is board off the Pirates games, and I'll be doing quite a bit of that. I did a, a week of spring training this year. Well, I think I did four games for the Pirates, and the game lengths were 225, 219, 218, 217. I don't think there was a single game last year, albeit in the regular season, that I had that was under probably two hours and 50 minutes. So it is such a drastic, drastic difference. Buccos yesterday won 9-6 to six against the Yankees. So 15 runs combined, 20 total hits, and it was still done in two hours and 51 minutes. I think that... If nothing else shows that the pitch clock will speed games up drastically and hopefully the fans who have been watching their whole lives will get used to it, enjoy it even more and potentially bring in some fans who were not willing to give up three and a half hours every single day to watch baseball might now give it a second chance. Overall, pitch clock, two thumbs up from my perspective. It is a change that was sorely needed, even though I don't like the idea of a clock It's hard to argue with the results that we have seen. That'll do it for the Fan Early Morning Show. Sean Myers signing off. We'll be back momentarily for the Fan fan Morning Show right here on 93.7 The Fan. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.